Would you grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? We're going to be in verses 1 to 6. We're going to continue to worship through studying God's Word today. And my sermon title is Games People Play. And it comes from 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 6. And I, I just hope that there's some really practical lessons we can learn today on interpersonal relationships and how we conduct ourselves. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 6. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this time to gather in Christ's name. I pray that you would bless the the teaching, Lord, by the power of your spirit. We thank you that you're a transformative God, that you change us from the inside out. And so we come ready to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I heard a story about a husband who had fallen ill and had some very serious symptoms. And so his wife, as a good wife does, demanded that he go to the doctor, and she went with him, and he was examined, and they gave a complete battery of tests. And the doctor told the man to get dressed, and he asked his wife to join him in his office. And as, as they stepped outside of the husband's presence, the wife said to the doctor, Doctor, give it to me straight. Tell me what's wrong with my husband. And he said, well, your husband is going to die unless you take some special measures for him. And she, of course, said, I'll do anything to help my husband. And he said, well, then this is what you must do. First of all, you must not allow him to have any stress whatsoever. You must make him three healthy meals a day and do whatever he asks you to do. Smother him with kisses all the time and tell him how much you love him. Give him whatever he wants or needs, spoil him rotten, and wait on him hand and foot, and then your husband will live. Some of you women in the room now are thinking, that's what my husband's like when he has a cold. (laughs) Well, on the way home from the doctor visit, the husband said to his wife, honey, I know you met with the doctor. Tell it to me straight. And the wife, without skipping a beat, says, it's terminal. You know, oftentimes we'll say to a doctor, give it to me straight. But the truth is, is we oftentimes don't live our lives giving it to other people straight. Many times in our behavior with other people, we're transactional, meaning we interact with people in a way that we can get what we want from them. And so we're really takers in relationships and not givers. And that is not the way that our Lord lived. That's not the way the Apostle Paul lived. You know, many people sort of live with concealed motivation. They're gimmicky. 
they play games. That's why I titled my sermon, Games People Play. And I've identified only a few that maybe you'll understand and relate to, not because you're this way, but because you know somebody like this. Like people who are passive-aggressive in their behavior. They resist another person in a subtle way just to create frustration so they can communicate in inappropriate ways their needs and wants. Others play the victim. We blame others. Some, you might remember this, we know this one well, play hard to get. You know the drill. You know how it goes. If, if maybe I, I want to make you be more appreciative of me, or maybe you're interested in somebody else, but you don't want them to think you're too interested in them in a dating relationship, maybe they call you, and then you call them back a couple of hours later, even though you already were on your phone, you saw the call. Or maybe you text them strategically later in just the right words, and, and really what you're trying to do is just play hard to get. Sometimes we play the, the game of concealing our feelings. We keep another person guessing of our true feelings so that we can protect ourselves and control that relationship. Sometimes we play status games. We do this with body language. Sometimes men do this with each other as they stand up next to each other and put their chests out there. I'm just glad I'm a man that doesn't have to even, you know, do that because it comes so naturally. (laughs) It it happens when people approach a group in group dynamics. And and we put people in their place without ever saying a word. That's just games. Maybe the worst game of all is emotional blackmail that we've all played on others. Sometimes it comes in the form of subtle bullying, hard words that we say to somebody, just sarcastic, we can get away with it, but it puts them in their place. Or even worse than that is silent treatment. Games of silent treatment are just, are just oftentimes miserable, and, and we've all done that to someone else. Isn't it horrible when you're on, a, on, the, on the front end of a long journey in the car with your family or your spouse or your friend or your relatives, whatever, and you're going to be in the car for hours on end, and you get in a fight just before you leave. And everybody's silent in the car, and it's so awkward. I mean, these are people that you love. This is your family, and yet you just won't even talk to each other. It's just, you just, you just, you know, at some point you just want to like, can you just drop me off? I don't want to out of this car. And I heard a story about such a couple. In fact, I, I, I shared it this weekend at the marriage conference, which was an amazing time. But, but they, were, they were in such a state, giving each other the silent treatment. It's manipulative. And so finally, after hours of this, the husband wants to break the silence, so he does it with sarcasm, and he, he looks over at a farm that's, that's off in the distance, and he sees, he sees cows on this farm, and he, he looks at his wife, and he goes, are those your relatives? <laughs> and she looks back at him right away, and she goes, yes, as a matter of fact, they are my in-laws. <laughs> it's not a good way to break a silence. But let's be honest for just a minute. As we play those games and we have those games played on us, isn't it exhausting? Isn't it counterproductive? Is that really how you think the Lord wants us to relate to others? Is that how the Lord related to people? You see, what I think we see in our passage today is a man who models for us a a, a genuine spirit. There's no guile in the Apostle Paul. Now, the context of our passage is important. The Apostle Paul had visited Thessalonica and when he visited there, he was only there either for three weeks or three months at the most, not very long. 
In fact, he had come there from Philippi, about 100 miles away. And in Philippi, just because he's telling people the hope and the good news about Jesus, he has this Jewish audience that's just opposing him. And they keep sending people in the crowd to stir things up. And, and he actually was arrested in Philippi and beaten and, and, and put in chains. And, and, and actually, maybe you remember the story in Acts chapter 16 where an earthquake comes and he's set free and he, he leads that jailer to Christ and his whole family comes. It's just a great story. But he goes on from there after being beaten and he goes on to Thessalonica. And he shows up at Thessalonica, and and sure enough, these people, like, they're following him around. And they stir up a mob. You get the idea here that it was just people that just wanted to be in a fight? Like, there's always somebody that wants to fight, right? There's always a guy. You remember those guys, like, in high school? Like, if they just heard there was a fight, they wouldn't even care who they're fighting. Let's let's fight. So they they, they seem to get this mob, and, and Paul has to leave in the middle of the night from Thessalonica, really to protect the people there. So he takes off from there, but when he leaves in night, at night like that, those who oppose him use it as a way to accuse Paul of not being a genuine guy. They're saying, see what kind of guy he is? He left in the middle of the night, wonder what he was hiding. And see, when they start to attack the messenger, what they're really doing is attacking the message of the good news about Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul in our passage today, and actually for the next couple of weeks, is defending his own character to people who knew him. And, and, you know, you've heard me say so many times, like, don't worry about your reputation. You protect Christ's reputation. You let him take care of yours. And I do believe that. However, the exception is, is when your reputation being defended opens the door for the gospel. And see, what Paul's saying here is this. He's going, you guys got to know that I was genuine when I was with you. No matter what they're saying about me, it wasn't true. I'm the real deal. And see, during those times 2,000 years ago, this would never happen today, but people used to travel around from city to city, and they were philosophers, and we might think of them today as like itinerant preachers or whatever, and they would go around, and they would actually, in the name of religion, get people, take advantage of people in their vulnerability, religiously, to get money from them. In other words, they would act like they were representing God, but they were actually just representing themselves and just trying to steal from people. I know that never happens today. It was 2,000 years ago. We're so much more advanced today. I believe there were even people that were accusing the Apostle Paul of sexual indiscretion, and I'll show you that from the passage today. I think it's possible that some people were saying, yeah, he even has some women around him. You know other women are around him, don't you? And so the Apostle Paul writes back to these people, and he just goes, no, I'm not a phony. I wasn't there for me. I was there in Thessalonica for you. And you know that's true. And the message that I gave you was the true message of the gospel. It was a message from God. It wasn't from Paul. I'm just an ambassador. I'm just a man who, who, who is entrusted with the gospel. But it's not about me. It's about Christ. And so he defends himself only for the purpose of defending the gospel. And so today, my challenge for all of us is this. Is is what is it about us that the Lord wants to reveal to us today about the way that maybe we sometimes are not authentic? Maybe there's some ways that we're not always genuine, that we're even manipulative in our relationships. It's going to be easy for you today to think about the people who you don't trust and who you think aren't honest and genuine. But I want to just give you six things from Paul's life today that I think mark a real man or a real woman. In other words, somebody who isn't a phony. Paul wasn't a phony. And in defending himself, he's going to help us to identify those things that mark a person who is real. 
And the first thing that we see is a real person is a person who is transparent. We see transparency in Paul's life. Look in verse one. He says, for you yourselves know. That is so important there. What Paul's gonna do throughout this chapter is he's gonna say repeatedly, you know us, we lived among you. We were transparent. The word transparent means free from pretense or deceit. It means to be easily detected, to be seen through. You can look through that person. In fact, if you look down at verse 2, it says this, as you know. Again, he says, as you know. If you look in verse 4, it says that, that, that they came to them, and it says that, but just as we've been approved by God, God knows us. Verse 5, he says the same thing. God is our witness. I love in verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, for you remember. In other words, you observed us. Verse 10, you are witnesses. You've seen us. You know us. We've lived transparent lives. The first, I think, step to being a real man or a real woman, somebody who's authentic, is to be transparent. Don't live with secrets. It doesn't mean that everybody has to know everything about you, but what it means is you're not purposely trying to conceal things from people, especially people who you're closest with, for the purpose of self-preservation. You want to be transparent, even though we know we're not perfect. you got to be transparent. Paul saying, people knew me. I love in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says this, for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. He was talking there about how they were handling the offerings. Like he goes, man, we want to be above reproach in how we handle these things. And so we know that God sees everything we do and we can't hide anything from him, but we can, if we want to, hide things from people. Paul's just going, no, I live my life in a way that there is always access to any important information. You go, okay, how can we do that today? You know how you can do that today? Is make sure that somebody that you know and love has the code to your phone. That there's no passwords that no one else knows. Because that just makes you accessible. You know. I want to tell you, my wife has full access to every account. She knows exactly how the money's spent. She has access to my phone. My kids routinely get on my phone in ways that drive me crazy. They're not in here so I can say that. That just drives me nuts. Like I'll, I'll get back on my phone and they've changed the screen in the back and my son likes the phone a lot darker than I like it so he sets it really, really dark. I'm like, what's wrong with my phone? I'll use it for a week like that. I'm like, what's wrong with my phone? I can't see it anymore. <laughs> oh, Ryan on my phone. They know the code to my phone. My, my son, I found out just yesterday, actually, because he accesses like, you know, he has a little checking account. He accesses that from my phone. And I figured out that he actually put his thumbprint as the deal to get on my phone. <laughs> what are you doing? But other people should have access to all of the information in our life. I don't want to have any place to hide anything. I told you guys in the Philippines how we hosted that couples conference and, and, and these couples who didn't even know each other like that we don't mind sharing a room with another, a hotel room with another couple who they don't know. My wife and I do not think of that as a vacation. This is not something we do. And that pastor said, we don't have a word for privacy in Tagalog. We don't know what privacy is. We don't need a word for it because we don't experience privacy. As Americans, we value our privacy far too much, even at our own risk sometimes. So Paul just goes, you know us, you were witnesses of us. We have nothing 
to hide. I like this quote. Happy are those who hate hypocrisy and love integrity, happy to appeal to God and to the public. That's what Paul does. I'm known. The second thing we see about a person who's real is we see they have conviction. We see they have conviction. Verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul spoke the truth regardless of the consequences. He did. He did not back off. If I had been in Philippi and beaten and arrested there, and then finally I'm let free from, I don't know that when I got to Thessalonica, I wouldn't have watered down the gospel a little bit. Probably my friends would have even said, hey, you know, you might want to soften, you know, like the message a little bit. This is kind of costing you a lot. Like you're, you got a black eye right now. You know, you limp, you've hurt your leg, whatever. Like, uh, let's, let's work on a new approach. Let's be more seeker sensitive. He just goes, no, you know, when I got there, I was honest with you. I told the truth. You see, we live in a world today that there really is very little conviction. Like, like people's opinions are just shaped by whatever's popular. Have you noticed how quickly our culture is just changing on huge sort of topics and issues? And just now today, we all believe this. And so people just sort of conform to that. Like, yeah, that's, that's what I believe too. You know why they do that? Because they just lack conviction. I think somebody said because they're idiots. Maybe, but, but I, I think the idea there is it's like conviction. <laughs> that was awesome. I have big ears. I actually hear everything. So he's like satellite dishes on the side of his head. My, okay, okay. I'm just still laughing inside. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10 says this. The people were saying, to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us what is smooth. Paul warns that in the New Testament that people will gather around for themselves teachers, just tell them what they want to hear. There's just no conviction. So you never know really where a person stands. They're not real with other people. They're just going to say to you what you want to hear. You don't, you don't know what they're really all about. There's no, now, I want to say being real doesn't mean being rude. There are those people, too, that just always blurting out everything all the time. It's like, no, you're just rude. You're not real. You're really rude. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about apples of gold and settings of silver as a word aptly spoken, the right words in the right way at the right time. But Paul was not a chameleon. You know what a chameleon is, right? It's like a lizard that will adapt its color to whatever its environment is. It's one thing when you're a lizard like that. It's not a good when you're a person who's like that. When it's an adjective, it means you're changeable, fickle, you're inconsistent. Nobody knows what to expect from you. You have no conviction. Paul just says, no, I wasn't that way. And that's proof of Paul's integrity. Like, I preached you in the midst of much conflict. In fact, in verse, at the end of verse 1, it says this, my coming to you was not in vain. That word vain there is an important word. Now, it could mean this. He could, it could, he could be saying, when I came to you, it wasn't in vain that I came because people got saved, but I don't think that fits the context. I, I think what he's saying to them is, is my words to you were not empty words. I didn't not come to you vain. The word vain means empty or hollow, right? He just says, my, my words to you weren't empty words. I came to you with substance. That substance was costing me. Like, I was paying a high price for it, but I came to you with substance. I didn't come to you with empty words. And it was... And, and that, that was costing me suffering, but it was proof of his integrity. So he wasn't watering it down. My, my mom, when I was a kid growing up, my, she was in first service today. My mom, always, it's funny, she, she was really more of a grandma than a mom in so many ways. In fact, the whole world calls her Grandma Johnson now. She's even said before, I never really wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a grandma, and I just had to have you to do it. 
just soft-hearted. It was good I had a dad who balanced that out, like who had rules and structure. But my dad, my, da- my, 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 my mom, like, okay, like even to this day, like when I was a kid growing up, my dad would insist that we'd have vegetables for dinner, which is a good thing. That's good. But my mom would feel bad to make us eat vegetables, so she would doctor them up so much that it looked more like macaroni and cheese by the time you ate them. Like, you'd have to sift through all the cheese to, oh, there is a green bean in there. As a kid, you wouldn't even know it. You just kind of... And my dad one time decided that it would be healthy if all of us every morning, three siblings and my, my mom, to, to have cod liver oil to start every day. I love my dad. That was one thing he got wrong. And so my, I remember the first day this happened. My brother was here for a service today. I remember the first day vividly. He goes, Chris, that's one of my only childhood memories. I totally remember that. My dad took out a spoon, lined us up. My mom, three kids. I was at the end. I was the youngest. So here's my mom. She goes first. Cod liver oil, t- t- tablespoon full. Here you go. Holding it up my mom's mouth. And she takes it. She's like. <laughs> she's gagging. And then my brother goes next. He's gagging. Then my sister goes next. She's gagging. I'm like. It was torture going last. Like, I want to run away from home right now. I'm only eight, but I'm out of here. And so he makes me do it. And now, Barbara, this is my mom. I want you to do this with the kids every morning. This will be healthy for you guys. Never remember ever doing that again. <laughs> I do know that the cod liver oil always went down, but I don't remember anybody drinking it. And I'm convinced my mom every day was like, Let's see, that's about four tablespoons. Next day, oh, that's about four tablespoons, and then it just went away. That's my mom. I'm not suggesting, ladies, you... No, actually, if your husband makes you do that, just dump it down the drain. I give you my permission, whatever that's worth. It's the one thing my dad got wrong. Paul, it would have been so easy for Paul to do that, right? Like, like oh, no, what I'm saying is creating opposition... So therefore, I should stop doing it. And see, see how illogical it is? Like, who in the world could say that the Apostle Paul went to Thessalonica just for his own benefit to take advantage of people and that his relationships with them were just to get and not to give? Who could say that? He's getting beat up for it. He keeps preaching the same gospel. He keeps creating opposition. He had to, the reason he snuck out in the night wasn't to hide, hide something. It was to protect them. And Paul's going, you know this. So he's a man of conviction. The third thing we see is he was a man with pure motives pure motives. His suffering proved that, but look at verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or untruth, he spoke the truth, or impurity, that's the word, or any attempt to deceive at all. In fact, it says this in the NLT, so we can see, so you can see, we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, no impure motives. They were not being, he was not being manipulative with his words. To manipulate is to control or play upon, play upon by artful, unfair, or insidious means, especially to take advantage of another. Impure motives. In relationships, that is so destructive. I, uh, I remember my wife and I, when we were just first married, 20 years old. We were 19, we got married, but we were 20. And uh, at the time this happened, somebody at our church, an older couple at our church, who we loved and respected, invited us to their home and said, we'd love to just get dessert with you and spend some time with you. And we were, I just want to tell you this, incredibly honored. And I want to say that to some of the couples in this room or some, some of you are older in this room. You reach out to those young people. They'll be honored. But this didn't go so well because we got to their house and what we found out is it was a sales pitch. They wanted us to join their business. 
And it's not that the business was wrong, but what was wrong is that they didn't tell us what they were inviting us to. They made it sound like they were interested in this young couple, and we were hungry for, for that kind of relationship. Yeah, we want to see, teach us how to be married, and we have, have that. And we get there, and the whole thing's a sales pitch all night. We went home so discouraged and disgruntled, to be honest with you. Uh, we just got played. We got played. That is not what the Apostle Paul did with the Thessalonians. He said our motive was not impure. That same organization, many years later, there was a man who was trying to get me to sign up with that. and, and It doesn't matter what, it, what the organization was. Again, that wasn't the problem. But, but, but he was always trying to get me to go. And I don't even know. He was an atheist. I don't even know that he wasn't befriending me for that purpose. So finally, I agreed to go. I said, I'll make you a deal. What's the deal? I said, I go with you to your meeting. I, I go through that. I'll listen. As long as you sit down with me and listen to the gospel again. I mean, that's how much we, we talked all the time. And he said, all right, deal. So I go to the meeting. I get there, and there's eight of us in the room, and I listen to the whole spiel. And I, at the end, I figure out they all circle around me. I figure out I'm the only recruit there. Everybody else couldn't get any sucker to come to the meeting like me. So they're all saying, why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you do this? And so I just told them why. I just said, because I would, once I get to meet and know people, I've got something else I want to tell them about that's more important to me. And so I'd want to tell them about Jesus. So I wouldn't be any good for you because I'd start building those relationships and, and, and I would tell them about Christ. And I don't want to use the closest relationships in my life in any way, shape, or form to take advantage of those. So I'm going to tell people about Christ. Well, it turns out everybody else in the circle except for my atheist friend is a believer. When I say this, they go, you're a Christian? What church do you go to? And then next thing you know, we're all talking about Jesus. And my friend who's standing there is like, what? And then all of a sudden, we're all asking, now why wouldn't you believe in Jesus? Why wouldn't you give your life to him? Why wouldn't you? That was a quiet car ride home. <laughs> never, intense, never attempt to induce conversations concealing false motives or for some kind of fraudulent reason. Be honest. Have pure motives in your relationships. Serve people to serve them, not to steal from them or get something from them. The word, notice there, the word impurity, it's really important in verse 3. He said, we didn't come to you with impurity of heart. It shows up in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. It might be worth a turn of a page in your Bible if you need to. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Now, the context here is sexual immorality. You'll see it back up in verse 3 and following. And the reference here is to sexual purity. This is something worth thinking about uh, because the Apostle Paul could be in a, in a sort of discreet way saying, and we were not there for the women either. Because in Acts chapter 17, it says this, that after preaching the gospel, some people believed. And it, and it, says, it says this, it says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas that came to Christ, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women or prominent women. So now Paul's coming back here and he says, our motives were pure motives. We did not in any way engage in impurity. And then you see he uses the word impurity in chapter 4, verse 7 to describe sexual immorality. I think it's possible that people were saying, oh yeah, did, by the way, did you notice uh, he had some women around him too? And Paul is saying, I function in absolute integrity regarding women and in ministry as above reproach. And man, I just want to say it's so important for us and women to do the same thing. 
For me personally, what that means is, is I just don't ride, for example, alone in a car with someone from the opposite sex that's, that's my age or below. And in fact, the only rule I have is I don't, I don't ever get to, uh, together alone in a car or at a restaurant with a woman who's not my wife or at least older than my mom. Or my mom or my daughters or my daughter-in-law or my family. I just think it's important to put up safeguards to be above reproach. That is the call for an elder, but that's also, I think, the call for all of us. And so he says, listen, I, I didn't come with impure motives. The fourth thing I see is that he was a man who was tested. People who are real are people who are tested. They recognize the answer to God. Look at verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. The word tested there literally is approved by God. God had approved Paul, and so he deposited in Paul the gospel. He made him a steward of the gospel. But notice he's continuing to test Paul. That testing was, was a continuous action. That's what it says there at the end of verse 4, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's a continuing action. God continues to know everything going on in Paul's life. And listen, when you know ultimately that you answer to God and God alone, you stop being a man pleaser. It doesn't matter to you anymore what people think of you. And that ruins your relationships. It really does. It sets all of it off. When you're really just meeting with people so that they'll have a higher opinion of you, you're not real. The only thing you're ever talking about is the good parts about you. And and, and you're, you're putting up a front. It's, it's fake. We've all done it. Pastors do it. There's times I've done it. Or, you know, you just really wonder, are people going to go home and think that was a good sermon? Or is the right motivation, are people going to go home and think more highly of Christ and be more like Jesus? You see, when I realize that I don't answer to you, but ultimately I answer to God, that's all I care about. Yesterday, a really kind lady came up at the end of the pastor's conference, or the, the, the uh, marriage conference, which was a wonderful time. A couple hundred people came, and we were just in the Word together. Many, 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 many great stories and testimonies of God working in marriages. But she came, and she goes, I just want to thank you and the other pastors for speaking the truth. Nobody teaches the truth about marriage anymore. Even in church, like, she's like, thank you for speaking the truth from God's Word. And I just looked back, and I said, you know why we do that? Because we're more afraid of God than we are of you. He's listening to everything we're saying. And see, that's what Paul's saying. He goes, we didn't live to please men because we know God tests our hearts. By the way, I know that this might seem, you know, it might be a little scary to you. You might say, well, I don't like that God tests my heart. Really? I would way rather have God test my heart than you. You want to know why? Two reasons. One is, he's more fair. We're not always fair with each other. You don't even know all the information about my heart. I don't know all the information about your heart. The second reason why I feel that way is because God's nicer than you are. I mean, I love you, but God's way more merciful (laughs) than you are and way more merciful than I am. So I'm glad God tests my heart, and yet he still has mercy for me and loves me. So he just goes, no, I don't live to please men. We're tested by God. Number five, we see that the Apostle Paul was unselfish. He was unselfish. He was there to serve. Verse five, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. So he says, we did not use flattery with you to get something from you. The word flattery literally means to make smooth. It's smooth talk that deceives because it intends to harm. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery has been defined this way, the act of giving excessive compliments generally for the purpose of ingratiating oneself with the subject for the purpose of taking advantage The difference between flattery and a compliment 
is the benefactor. What I mean by that, the person giving it and their motivation. The difference is this, and that's why sometimes it's difficult to discern and know, but somebody sometimes will give a compliment, and it's from a right heart, and they're complimenting you not to butter you up to get something from you, but they're doing that because they love you, and they want to build you up. And then a flatterer is somebody that might give what sounds like the same compliment, but it's really to soften you so they can steal from you. You know, I'm not in any way suggesting that it's wrong to be a salesperson. I think it's, that's an honorable work. You should do that and do it in an honorable way. But there's been times when I've gone to salespeople that I think, nah, they're buttering me up. They're just saying what I want to hear. In, in fact, uh, for me, it's always interesting. You know, it's just timeshare situations. I'm one of those guys, especially in the past when I was just trying to figure out ways to take my wife on a little getaway and didn't have any money to do it, where I would just go to one of those and be like, sweetie, I'm going to take you on a trip and we're just going to have to give a couple hours of our time and we're going to do a timeshare. And, and I, I, every single time when a salesperson would find out that I'm a pastor, they get so religious. I mean, every time. Like, they, they'll be cussing, using whatever, doing whatever, and then all of a sudden, like, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden, they go, oh, you know, I went to a vacation Bible school once when I was seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, really? And they just start to say, yeah, I just really respect men of God. I think it's a great, the work that you do, and the way you serve people, and, you know, you deserve a vacation. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, they're just, that's flattery. It's, 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 it's wrong. And Paul just goes, we didn't use flattery to try to get anything from you as a pretext for greed, in other words, to steal from you. And then the sixth thing that I see in Paul's life is that he was a man who showed deference, deference. That's having a, a higher regard for another's needs. In other words, what it's saying is, is you first. I'm going to defer to your needs and, and to your desires. I, I'm not trying to gather things for myself and we see this in verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. When Paul says he wasn't seeking glory from them, that's actually not referenced there to the praise of men. That's actually to the rights of an apostle or to the rights of royalty. So he's saying, we weren't, we weren't demanding from you what we would deserve as apostles, but we showed deference to you. We weren't demanding our own rights we wanted to be like Christ who set aside the independent use of his own rights, his glory, for our good and watching humility. In fact, in Mark ten forty five, we see just that. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I like it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, where, where the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I cause my brother to stumble. I, I just love this, because the context there is, is some people had come out of a background of idol worship, and the, what they used to do in idol worship is they would take their best animals to these temples dedicated to idols and offer them to them. And then... You know, like that meat was the best meat and it would end up in the meat market. Like this is the Costco beef section. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not saying Costco's meat was sacrificed to idols. So I just want to be careful. Walmart's I've questioned occasionally, but no. So this meat would really cause a problem for some people that had come out of that background. Like, oh, if I eat that meat, I'm, I'm re-engaging in that sinful past. I want to be distanced from that. Now, Paul's just going, meat is meat. And I don't care if it was sacrificed to an idol or not. I'm going to eat it. Amen. 
Some of you guys right now are thinking, would you hurry up and finish the sermon so we can get to our meat? We're on our way. It's in the crock pot. Going to Sizzler. I hear it all. I know. It's just terrible. I do. I can't see all of you, but I hear everything. Listen, Paul just says, hey, even though that meat's clean to eat, there's no idols in the meat. If it would cause my brother to stumble, I'll be a vegetarian. He's deferring. And what you see in this passage is Paul goes, hey, I was there. I'm an apostle of Christ. I saw the risen Christ. I've done miracles in the name of Christ. I'm a writer of New Testament scripture. And yet when I show up amongst you, I didn't demand anything from you. I didn't demand the glory of an apostle. I, I I didn't demand that you pay me special respect or assert my authority in an ungodly way. Or I didn't levy from you contributions. But instead, I just willingly served you there. And Paul just goes, you know me. And what I want to ask you today as we close is, do you know you? It's so easy to evaluate everybody else. Is there maybe just one of these areas, and there has been for me this week, one of these areas where you just say, Lord, work on me in that area. But can I encourage you, too, as we close? Your God's a merciful God. That's why you don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, feeling a spirit of condemnation because the Lord tests you. Like, he really does test me. He really does. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. So you can come to him. And even if those one of those areas just go, Lord, would you work on that area of my life? Like, I want to be more relationally responsible. I want to be unselfish. I want to show deference. I, I don't want to play games anymore, the games that people play. Thank you, that Lord, that Paul didn't play those games. So we have that as an example of how we can live a transparent and honest life. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and for these sweet people. Bless them, I pray. Lord, I do pray that you would help us all to grow. Expose sin in us, Lord, and remind us of the grace that is in Christ, the forgiveness. But Lord, help us to to do better, to relate to one another in a more healthy way. Lord, so often it's past hurts that have sort of positioned us to play games, self-preservation, manipulation. So Lord, we just... Just pray for your grace. Help us to trust you enough that we could just be real people. Thank you for Paul's example, Lord. Thank you for the scriptures to help us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.